And it's so hard to break that cycle of behaving in a, in a poor way, in an ungodly way. And it happens in, in all kinds of ways. But as you, as you go about and do the things that you do, you know, be aware that people are watching you. And, and they may emulate what you're doing. And we don't want to have them do bad things. We want to have them do good things. And so it's important. And it, I think it calls on all of us just to recognize that part about being a good leader and being a good follower of Christ and being a disciple. It's important. What you do matters. What you say matters. Um, who you associate with matters. And we can just see here what Ahab did. And in, in, in not following God, he married a foreigner. He married someone named Jezebel, who was a Sidonian. The Sidonians were the people who lived where modern-day Lebanon is, and they were very good shipbuilders and very good sailors, but they worshipped Baal. And so here again we have another example of someone who's supposed to be you know, one of God's people. Ahab is a Jewish person, is not supposed to marry outside the faith, yet he goes and marries this Sidonian woman who wants to worship Baal. And you know, Jeroboam committed sin by idol worship, but if we think back about what he did, he did worship with his wives, but he didn't really try necessarily to replace God as God. He made the golden calves, but his fear was people would go back to Jerusalem and then they would not be following him as king, but they would follow Rehoboam. And, and that's bad enough, but we see here that Ahab actually builds an idol or builds a temple for Baal and then he makes the altar for Baal. So it just keeps going farther and farther. And that's why, you know, God's telling us here that Ahab was even worse than anybody before him because he has outright replaced God. He's not even going to the temple and worshiping God. He's worshiping Baal. And then when it talks about, it says Ahab also made the Asherah. There was a a goddess who was supposed to be a consort of Baal. And what their worshipers did, they erected these poles. So an Asherah or an Asherah pole was an altar that they would worship. So he's even doing that. And, and you know, it's, it says twice in the text here that we read that he does more evil and provokes God more than any other king that came before him. And we know that there's not, um, people don't get away with that. And, and God's word comes true. And just to help us remind us that, the, the verse 34 that we read where it talks about Hiel, the, the Bethelite who built the Jericho. If you'll turn back to Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. So after the battle of Jericho, God gave a command to Joshua. So we're Joshua chapter 6, and it's verse 26. So this is after the battle of Jericho where the whole city was destroyed. And this is what God prompted Joshua to do, what he told him. So Joshua 6, verse 26, Then Joshua made them take an oath at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. And with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. So here, God told Joshua, nobody should come and rebuild Jericho. But it tells us here in 1 Kings 16, so it's been several generations, but they should know they're not supposed to do that. But God keeps his word. So this Bethelite, who goes back to where Jericho was and builds it, what happens to his children? 
His firstborn dies when he sets the foundations, and his lastborn dies when he sets the gates. And so this is just God's word coming true, showing us once again that when God tells us to do something, we should do that. And the punishment may be immediate, but sometimes the punishment takes generations to come through. But we need to heed God's word and understand what he's telling us and follow that um, to the best of our ability. So we'll move on and um, see what God does about this. And at this time, there was a prophet whose name was Elijah. God had called on Elijah to, as a prophet, to give the people and the king some, some pretty hard truths. And one of those things that, that God did as a punishment for the people was um, he told Elijah to tell the people that when Elijah's called for it to not rain, that it wouldn't rain for three years. And so God tells it to Elijah. Elijah tells it to the kings and the people. And so it quits raining. There is drought and famine for three years. So nobody likes Elijah. And this is one of those cases where people are not seeing that their actions have consequences. Because the people are sinning against God in such a bad way, God brings a famine on them to try to get them to come back to him. So they don't want to do what we've all heard of as shoot the messenger. So Elijah's the messenger. And, and what happened to a great many of the prophets in the Old Testament? Tortured, killed, very few of them live there. You know, God calls them to do some difficult things, but they're, they're great examples for us because they stand up for God and they're obedient and they follow his word even though they know they might be killed. So Elijah's been in hiding and we don't have time to cover all this in 1 Kings 17. It's a great story about Elijah and how God, even though Elijah does what's dangerous for him and is hard for him, God meets his needs. He actually has to run away and he goes up in the mountains and gets water by drinking out of this brook. And in the morning and the evening, ravens bring him food. And when the brook finally dries up, God tells Elijah, go to this small town and there's a widow and she'll take care of you. And, and she does through some miracles. Um, God sustains Elijah and Elijah remains obedient. So at, a, at about the three-year point, God talks to Elijah and says, We're, I'm going to bring rain back. You know, it's been long enough. I want to end this drought and famine. And so Elijah's headed back to find King Ahab, who wants Elijah dead. So he's on his way back. And he meets another servant of the king whose name is Obadiah. Ahab's been trying to find Elijah because Ahab is blaming, or Ahab is blaming Elijah for all the things going on, which isn't really true, right? Why is all of this happening? Because from Ahab all the way down, the people are being disobedient to God and God's punishing them. That's not Elijah's doing. Elijah's just saying, God is doing this to you because you won't repent. You won't go back and follow God and do what you're supposed to do. Ahab, in trying to get to Elijah, keeps trying to find everybody who knows where Elijah's hiding out. And so when Obadiah meets Elijah, Elijah asks him to go, asks Obadiah to go to Ahab and say, tell him I'm coming back and I have a message for him. And Obadiah's like, no, I don't want to go. Because if I go, he thinks, he'll think that I knew we were hiding all the time and he's going to kill me. And so Elijah makes this promise to Obadiah that he will go right then directly to Ahab and tell Ahab himself. And that's where we're going to pick up. 
It's 1 Kings 18, verses 15 to 21. And this is how Elijah leads the people towards repentance. So 1 Kings 18, yep, 18, 1, 8, and I'm going to pick up in verse 15. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. And so God's ready for it to start raining again. And he's using Elijah again as his messenger. And so Elijah goes back. He doesn't want Obadiah to get hurt. So he goes right back to Ahab and he tells him, these things are happening because you and the people have been sinning. And Ahab, you can tell from the text, Ahab has the completely wrong idea. He doesn't think he's doing anything wrong, does he? He thinks that Elijah is the one who's causing all these problems, and that's not true. It's God punishing the people. It's just Elijah is the messenger. And when we're in difficult circumstances, I think we need to think about stepping back and looking at what's happening and maybe why it's happening. We don't always want to believe that we are the cause of our own problems, but sometimes that is exactly the case. Sometimes God will have us walk through a difficult situation that we had nothing to do with, so that we can be a good witness or we can encourage or support someone. But a lot of cases, if we look and see when we're in a predicament, it's because we have acted in an ungodly manner. We're not following what God wants us to do. And there are consequences for that. And Ahab and the people are seeing this. And, and, and you have to admire Elijah because he doesn't mince words, does he? You know, Ahab, who's the king, and in those days, kings had the right to do anything up into, you know, having you killed or tortured or whatever. And Ahab says, well, you're our problem. And Elijah says, no, you're the problem. And it's because you're not following God and you haven't followed God's commandments. And that's why all these things are happening. And then Elijah does something that's interesting is he says, well, and, and he talks to the people because really he doesn't, I mean, at this point, because Ahab is a bad actor and being ungodly, does that give all of the people a pass? No, it doesn't. And, and we're the same way. Just because people around us are behaving in a godly way and sinning, that doesn't give us a free ticket to sin. We're all responsible. The Bible tells us we all will be called account to one day for everything that we do. And, and we'll be held responsible for that. Now, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, whatever sin we have committed, Christ's blood cleans that sin. God won't see that. But he's just letting them know these, you know, you're going to be accountable. And so the people don't have, just because their leader is not doing what they're supposed to, doesn't mean they're not supposed to do what they're supposed to. So Elijah's calling him out and he says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? And he's asking him, how long are you going to wait? You can serve God or you can serve all these false gods like Baal and Asherah. 
you have to make the choice. And how do the people respond? Not a word. They, they could have condemned Elijah and told Ahab, we should kill him. And they didn't. But they also didn't say, you're right. We have been sinning and fall down and repent and ask for God for forgiveness. They all just stand there. And I think they all are starting to understand they're having a guilty conscience. And they know they should do right. But for whatever reason, they're afraid they don't want to do right. So Elijah then tells Ahab, you know, part of what's, what he's going to do to work this out is it's, it pretty much comes down to a contest of, let's see whose God is the real God. And what Elijah's doing is setting this up to where there's a challenge between the gods Baal and Ashtaroth and the, the one true living God. And we'll pick that up. So I'm going to be in 1 Kings 17. And I'm going to read 25 to 39. Sorry, it's 18. It looks like my pen failed when I came back for the 8, and so it looks like a 7. It is 18.25. We're moving on in, in chapter 18. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Pretty interesting miracle that God performs here and Elijah helps him to do this and and this the people see I mean this is something that they can't 
refute that God is the Lord their God. Because Elijah gives, you know, these priests of Baal and Asherah all day. So they take the ox and they cut it up and they put it on the altar and they're calling all day and they're doing all of the things that their pagan religion calls them to do. So they're, they're singing and yelling. And when that doesn't work, they take knives and cut themselves and let their own blood because that was supposed to please their God. But what does their gods do? What do the gods do? Nothing. Because they are fake. They're, it's, it's, you know, we are created beings in God's image. And they're, you know, the created ones are worshiping created things. Because if you think about, you know, an astropole is really a tree, which God created everything. And so they're worshiping something that isn't real. You know, it may be real as in a tactile or a physical way, but it's not real as a God. This is nothing that, um, you know, and, and Elijah's just helping God prove the point that you're following false gods and all these rituals and sacrifices and um, all of the things that you're doing that you think please these so-called gods do no good. It's not helping you out at all. They're not, you know, or... You know, and as he's mocking them there, he's kind of saying, well, what kind of gods do you have where, you know, they're not paying any attention to you and you're doing all the things that, you, that they say you're supposed to, but they're not paying attention to you. And, you know, it just, it isn't working. And so when it becomes Elijah's turn, how, how is his sacrifice different than theirs? It's wet and it's not a little bit wet. He, he has them three times. I don't know how big the pitchers of water are, but it's, it's drenched. And so everything is wet. And so, you know, even if Elijah had matches or whatever, he's not going to be able to light it on fire. So the only way this is going to burn is really by the power of God. And Elijah calls on God. And why, why is, you know, why were the priests of Baal and Asherah, what were they trying to do by the, the sacrifice and having it burn? They're, they're trying to prove that their gods are real, but they weren't doing it for any other purpose other than to trying, if you think about it, they're trying to prove that they are right and that Elijah's wrong. And what does Elijah pray for? The Lord's glory. And that the people will see God and the people will know who God is. So Elijah's not praying about Elijah and what can I do as a priest? Elijah's praying that the people would repent, that the people would remember who God is and that he's a loving God and he's a merciful God. And if they will call on him, that he will forgive them and he wants them to turn back. You know, he says, answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. So the whole focus of what Elijah is doing is, and, and all along that's what he's done and what the prophets did is to try to help people see that they're not following God. And God does that in a lot of different ways. And here he does it in an amazing way because we have this ox that's cut up and it's all this wood and all this water and there's nothing left after God's fire comes down on it, is there? It burns up everything. You know, it's, it says it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up everything. So it didn't just burn the ox and the wood and evaporate the water. It says it burned the stones. God's power literally vaporized all this. 
And the only way that that could happen was that the Lord God Almighty called for this to happen. And he can do anything that he wants. This is, you know, our God is the God who created the universe by speaking it into existence. If he can speak things into existence, he can certainly speak them into non-existence. And this is exactly what happens. And how, how do the people respond to this? They do, because they finally see this thing. They have lived in sin so long. And that's something to think about as, as we engage in activities and we read things and we watch things on TV. And, and the more that we do something that's wrong, the more right it seems to us. There's a, um, I think it was in the 80s, there was a phrase um, that came about, and it's, it's the affirmative power of the normative. And you see that all the time in our culture today. And so that's like lawyer words for saying that if, if, if you see something happen, you know, if you do something long enough, it seems normal to you. And, and so if you behave badly for long enough, pretty much you just see that, you think that's the way it is. So if you have a child that grows up in a home where all the parents do is fight, those children think that that's what parents do. Now, parents fighting, is that supposed to happen? No, that's not supposed to happen. Um, so, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, another example of this is, is, you know, if you put a frog in water that's warm and then you start heating up until it boils, the frog will never jump out because as a reptile, its body temperature is the surrounding. It just, you know, by the time it's too late, the frog's dead. He doesn't realize it. Well, if, if we engage in sinful activities and things that we don't think are so bad or we hang out with people that we know are ungodly, but we like them because they're funny or whatever, if we do that, and this is what the people have done, is, is it started off with, um, and really it started with Solomon. David committed sin, but David as the king, when he recognized it, repented and followed God. There were consequences to that. Solomon went a little bit farther, didn't he? He had wives that he shouldn't have and really didn't have the heart for God that David did. And then we see his son, Rehoboam, and his servant Jeroboam get even farther from that until we get all the way down through where we're at now with Ahab, and, and the people have lived in sin for so long, even though they had God's word with them and they had prophets, that they became so comfortable in their sin, they just didn't get it. And it took something like this where, you know, there are 450 of these prophets from these gods that they may have been worshiping and following and they see their king worship and follow for one prophet, Elijah, the prophet of the living God, to defeat them in this way. If you think about it, you know, the contest of who's going to burn up the ox, God won hands down. And, and seeing this great physical thing, this tangible thing in front of them happen, kind of shocked the people back into acknowledging who God is. And they do. They fall down. They say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. As they are acknowledging what happens. And even very godly people, sometimes there has to be something shocking. And that was the case with David where, David and Bathsheba, the lengths he went to to hide his infidelity and his adultery with Bathsheba caused a lot of harm and damage and was very sinful behavior. But when Nathan told him the story about the, the rich man with the, that had all the sheep and the poor man who just had the ewe and he treated it like his daughter, and the rich man took that, 
you know, God knew that story would make sense to David in a way that it shocked David enough that when Nathan said, well, you're that man, you're the rich man because you had all this and you took this one man's wife, David acknowledged it and understood it. And in, in the same way, the people see this is that these false gods they've been following, they get this very physical, visual display of God's power, and that shocks them into remembering who they really are and what they're supposed to do. And so as, as they as they do this, and then I, you know, there's more punishment and things that come on, but the lesson here we're really looking at is that God will use his power to turn people back to worship. And, and hopefully we don't get to a point in our lives that we're so far off of God's path for us that he has to do something like this. But God may do that. And I think God, through our lives and how we live and the relationships we have, is trying to help us remember through things that happen to us that what it is that we need to do. And, and we have, you know, we have the ultimate example of what we're supposed to behave like Jesus Christ. And we have the full scripture of the new Testament and the four gospels and the letters from the, um, you know, Peter and Paul and John and, you know, Mark and Matthew that tell us this is who Christ was. And this is what he was like while he was here on earth. And then these are the things that we're supposed to do. And, and we should know, we should all know, but we all still make mistakes. And the, the other part important for this lesson is these people have really behaved in such a way, you know, think back, when were other times that people really ignored God and didn't follow God, that God brought great judgment? Noah, when he destroyed, when you go back, it says that, you know, nobody followed God. And so God destroyed almost everyone, Noah, but his family, you know, except his family that was on the ark. He destroyed everyone. What about Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, but God was even merciful then because Lot and his wife and his daughters were escaping. Now his wife still couldn't quite bring herself to not be fully obedient. She looked back and there was a consequence for that. So all through this, and we see these things, and we wonder why they did what they did, but I think if we reflect on our own lives, we start to dabble in that pool of sin, and we kind of put our toe in, and we kind of do some things, and we know, well, you know, Christ paid for all my sins, so if I do this one little thing, God's already forgiven me, and I don't have to worry about that. If you're having that conversation in your head, you already have gone where you shouldn't have gone, because we know what we're supposed to do to be obedient to God. And, and it's hard to do that. We all struggle with that. That That is just something that will be with us while we are here on earth until God calls us home and we're in his presence where there is no sin and there's no temptation and we don't have to worry about that. We're going to have to worry about it and we're going to have to deal with it. Hopefully we don't go as far as the people of Israel have gone here where there's division in the tribes and they're sinning and nobody's doing what they're supposed to do. Hopefully we don't get that far down that path. But this shows us that if we do, God will still take us back. God will still show mercy to us. God will still forgive us of our sins. And so we should remember those kind of things as we go through this. And that leadership does matter. Being an example does matter. When you're with people, acting in a Christ-like manner matters. And when we sin, when we repent, we also need to try to make that right with whoever we sinned against or whoever we participated in bad behavior with to let them know that we shouldn't have done that. You know, to say, well, you know, when I, you know, the other day when I saw you, I apologized for that. What I said was unkind and 
you know, I was trying to make a joke and it wasn't funny and I apologize for that and it won't happen again, is to let people know that because that helps show our witness, you know, and especially if we talk with people and when we're asking for their forgiveness and we, we tell them, I'm, I'm asking for forgiveness from you because I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. I'm a Christian and I follow God and Jesus Christ is my Savior and the Bible says this kind of behavior is inappropriate and that's what I did and so I'm asking you because you can bring God in that conversation even if it's a non-believer so they understand that you're not apologizing to them because you want them to like you you're apologizing to them and asking for forgiveness because God has called us to and your behavior was wrong and you may have done something that hurt somebody bad enough they won't forgive you and they don't want to be around you but you've done what you need to do and and when someone sins against us we need to be part of that process as a believer and forgive that person and and understand that what they're doing is what God's called them to do and we can't undo those actions but we can move forward and and be brothers and sisters in Christ and continue to serve God in a way that honors and glorifies him because that's that's what our purpose is as as God's created people were created in his image our whole purpose for being here on the earth is to honor and glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's, you know, if you go back to the Westminster Catechism, that's the first question is we're supposed to honor and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Being a Christian and serving God isn't supposed to be a painful, hard labor service. There can be pain, there can be hard labor, but we should have that joy in God and knowing what he does for us and he does provide for us he tells us he'll provide for us what we need it might not be what we want but he provides what we need and god loves us and he watches out for us and we may have to walk some difficult paths but in the end that will be worth it the other thing i think to get out of this is to just look at elijah and his life and his obedience even though he knew he could be killed for these things and he wasn't afraid to tell leaders the hard truth and i think if the holy spirit puts you you know if god puts you in a position where you have to speak truth to somebody we need to honor god by speaking truth trusting that even though the earthly consequences might be very uncomfortable god will protect us in that parts of the new testament that tells us even if we don't know what to say if god's put us in that situation and he's calling on us to represent him the holy spirit will give you the words God will give you the words to say. And when we're speaking, just like Elijah wasn't the one who decided there would be a drought, and Elijah wasn't the one who decided that the drought would end, that was God, is that this is God's word. And when we share God's word, it's God's word. And he is the one who's called on this. And people can like that or not, but it's not, it's not my word that I'm asking them to believe. I'm asking them to believe in the word of God. So we don't have to defend that. We just need to speak that and let people know that we believe that. And I, I would agree with that. I mean, I formed for religious freedom, not necessarily Christian. Most of them were Christian, but we have to really remember, and, and Paul, um, actually it's in First Peter, tells us that when we become believers, we're now aliens here. We don't belong here because when I became a believer, my citizenship became in heaven. I'm a child of God, and my true home is in heaven. And so while I'm here on the earth, I'm now an alien. And I think many times, lots of people start to put their freedom that we have in the United States and our country above God. And we live in a great country. 
And we have many freedoms that we get to enjoy that there are places in the world that they don't get to enjoy that freedom. But we have to remember that freedom doesn't really come from the Constitution of the United States or senators and congressmen or this is all here because this is what God ordained in his plan. God called for these things to happen. But just like with Israel, Israel was God's chosen people, the 12 tribes of Jacob. And what's happened to them because of sin? They're now divided. And now they have kings who are bad leaders who are hauling them down a wrong path. And But these are the kings that God chose. God let, in God's plan, Ahab was a king. Could God have made Ahab not be a king? Yes. But this is how God is letting the sinful world play out what it's doing. It's all part of his plan. And we can look at our country and we don't want to get into politics and all those kinds of things. But if you look at what society is doing in America and what Bible, the Bible calls us and what God calls us to do, very different things. And I, I think we will come to the point sooner than I thought, but it's coming where, and it's happening in some ways now, you're going to be asked to do things that as a Christian, if you believe in the Bible, God says, don't do those things. And, and society says it's normal. That's what I was talking about. The affirmative power of the normative is the more they try to make it seem normal, the more, the more you're exposed to it, you don't notice or you think that it's okay. When really it's not. Really, if you look at the Bible and we look at what's happening, a lot of things we can say, God says this is not okay. This is not what the God of the Bible says. So this is not what I'm supposed to follow. So as society starts going down the path, just like here with the 10 tribes of Israel, where they are worshiping Baal and, and Asherah openly. And, and I would think that there were, you know, when we say all of the tribes, it's not every. I'm sure there were some devout Jewish people who recognized that. They probably suffered. Um, they weren't the cool kids on the block. But they still follow God. There always is a remnant that follows God. We're you know, reading about the majority here. But we're going to be those people who are not the cool kids because we're going to say, I'm not going to participate in that behavior. I can't do that because God says this is ungodly behavior. And there will be consequences. And we have to have faith and trust in God that even though we'll experience those consequences, God will see us through that. But, you know, and who knows what those consequences will be. In the Old Testament for the prophets, many times that was death. But, you know, if God calls us to do those things, I think he supports you through that, and we just have to wait and see. And, and we're not going to change where our society is going, are we? We, we, can choose for our, we can choose our own actions. We can choose what we want to do. We can represent ourselves. We can make our own choices. And that has an influence, but we can't change it all. And do we have to really worry a lot about that? No, it's, you know, it's uncomfortable. We don't like it, but God has chosen for things to happen. Just like God led these people to this point, And then God destroyed all of this in a, in a show of who he is to his people and his people recognized him. Will God do that at some point? He may in our country. He may not. We don't know, but while we're here, because we're all still here because the tribulation has to happen, which means there are lost souls to save, we all need to do our part in honoring God by spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel and helping people understand who he is and, and following him and wanting to follow him. Because there are still people that need to be saved. Otherwise, 
we wouldn't be here. You're right. And, and prophecy in the Bible does tell us, and, and it tells us things are going to get worse before they get better. And, you know, we, we should take comfort and joy in knowing that when it gets really bad, when the Antichrist is here and in power, the tribulation happens before that. And so we won't be here. We're going to be in the presence of the living God. And we don't know if that's going to be tomorrow, or we don't know if it's going to be a thousand years from now. You can go back through Christian history, and there are people that were completely convinced that Christ was coming. You, know, you read a lot of stuff like um, World War I, when that was so horrible, and, and people thought, well, surely it can't get worse than this, and God is coming. And it's just been that way all along. And we think about all the things that are happening in our world now, and you can, you can argue for some of the world events that are happening is it sure looks like what's going on and, you know, what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe not. Only God knows. Even Christ doesn't know. You can read in the Bible. It tells you that, you know, only the Father knows, not even the Son knows when he's coming. He knows he's coming back. We know he's coming back. We just have to wait for that. And God has a plan, but Ray's right. It's, it's going to happen if we have that faith and trust in God. God's going to call us to live our lives in a certain way. And if we do that up until the point that God calls us home, that's all that we can do.